Chief Justice. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Our opinion next turns to the problem of what the judicial role should be. Lowest voter participation in the nation, lowest voter registration rate in the nation. We've dug a deep, deep hole in Texas, and what we've got to do is stop digging. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Voting is a right. And in some states, it's pretty easy to do. You register, and then you go to the polling place, and you mark your ballot. But in more than half the states, laws have been passed called voter ID laws that require you to not only register, but bring specific forms of ID with you when you go to vote. There's concerns these voter ID laws discourage some people from going to the polls and voting at all, particularly poor and minority voters. The federal courts are reviewing a voter ID law passed in North Carolina And in North Dakota, Native American leaders have filed a lawsuit claiming that voter ID laws in that state disproportionately impact their community. And in Kansas, the ACLU is challenging a requirement that residents show proof of citizenship when they try to register to vote. And then there's Texas and its voter ID law. By 2050, the population in that state is expected to double with the Latino population challenging majority status. How are all these voter ID laws impacting who votes today in the United States and who will have access to the polls in the future? Life of the Law's Jonathan Hirsch traveled to Harris County in Texas, the center of the debate about the controversial law in Texas, and has this report. Albert Maldonado studies civic engineering at Rice University in Houston. He's 20 years old, slender, and well-dressed. He wears his hair parted to one side and has a wide smile. Maldonado is treasurer of a student leadership group and an active member of the university community. Yet he says when it comes to voting in elections, many people, including himself, aren't that well educated. People who are in my position don't know how to do it. I didn't know. I registered to vote when I got my driver's license, and they sent it to you when you turn 18. Then, when he got his voter registration card a few weeks later, Maldonado says he didn't know what to do with it. They sent it to me in the mail, and I didn't know what it was, and I threw it away. Maldonado's family is from the city of Monterrey in Mexico. When he was a child, they moved to the small town in Texas where he grew up. It's called Honey Grove. The town's 1,600 residents call it the sweetest town in Texas. Most of those residents are white. It's very much like traditional. When when I think of Texas, very much what, uh, what is traditionally portrayed of Texas. Not all of Texas is like Honeygrove. In Houston, where Maldonado now lives and goes to school, ethnic and racial minorities make up the majority of the population. But not only are Maldonado and his peers uninformed about voting, some scholars and politicians in the state are concerned that new voter ID laws will make it harder for minorities like Maldonado to vote at all. Leland Beatty lives in Austin and makes his living working with statistics. He was an expert witness in a case brought against a voter ID law implemented in Wisconsin. Beatty has a shock of white hair, and when we meet, he's smoking a cigarette a few blocks from the state capitol in Austin. Where am I going when I go in? So this, uh, this building right here. He says voting in Texas has been in trouble for a while. Lowest voter participation in the nation, 
lowest voter registration rate in the nation. We've dug a deep, deep hole in Texas. And what we've got to do is stop digging. Beatty says not only do the people of Texas have to get out of the hole, the new voter ID law is making it harder for the state's minorities to vote. It's unquestionable that this impacts minorities twice as heavily, more than twice as heavily, as non-minorities. The law that requires voter IDs is often called SB 14, or Senate Bill 14. It became law in 2011. And the way this law works, in addition to registering to vote, voters must bring one of seven forms of photo identification with them when they go to the polls. The accepted forms of ID are a Texas state driver's license, an election ID card, a state-issued ID card, a military ID, a citizenship certificate containing a photo or a passport, or a license to carry a handgun. Now, at first, maybe requiring an ID doesn't sound so strange. We use IDs for a lot of things, right? But in more than a dozen states, you still don't have to show an ID to vote. It's been that way for decades, and that's no accident. In 1965, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act. Thus, this is a victory for the freedom of the American Negro. But it is also a victory for the freedom of the American nation. And every family across this great entire searching land will live stronger in liberty, will live more splendid in expectation, and will be prouder to be American because of the act that you have passed that I will sign today. The act created provisions to protect equal access for voters regardless of their ethnicity. And one of those key provisions, Section 5, declared that any time state or local government wanted to make changes to voter access at the polls, that change had to be cleared by the Department of Justice to ensure that it didn't discriminate against any particular group. 33 U.S. states have since moved to adopt some kind of voter ID law, but four of the laws didn't get clearance from the Department of Justice because it concluded that in those cases, the ID law would unjustly impact certain groups. Texas's voter ID law was one of them. Beatty says that not only are laws like these unnecessary, they make it harder for poor and minority members of the community to vote, the Texas law may have been introduced as a way to stop voter fraud, he says, but fraud isn't the issue. This is one of those things that seemed like a simple solution, but like most simplistic solutions, the damage it does way outweighs the benefits. We haven't had rampant voter fraud in Texas in a number of years, and when we did, it did not have to do with voters um, showing up to vote with um, fake IDs. Earlier this year, the University of California, San Diego, released a report on voter ID laws and voter turnout. The study followed 16 elections from 2008 to 2012. In states where voter ID laws had been implemented, the study found there was a 10.3% drop in turnout among Latino voters. Republican member of the Texas House of Representatives, Jim Murphy, says that voter ID legislation like Texas's SB 14 bill is simply a safeguard against fraud. But, but here's the thing. It really doesn't matter if there are stories 
of this or that or the other. Uh, we weren't trying to, you know, go back in time. We we're saying, shouldn't the election process have all the integrity uh, that we would envision for it? You know, everybody voting, but everybody voting once, and everybody voting legally, and that's really what that bill is about. Representative Murphy says the law requiring voters to present photo ID at the polls will restore people's faith in the fairness of elections. People need to have faith that their electoral systems are fair, that they are uh, everyone's allowed to participate in them, and that one vote counts just as much as the next. But when SB 14 was originally passed in Texas in 2011, it didn't go over well with the federal government. It was devastating to the state of Texas. Professor Henry Flores is the Distinguished University Research Professor at the Department of Political Science at St. Mary's University in San Antonio. At the time that SB 14 was finally passed, Texas was still under coverage of the Voting Rights Act. And so under Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, we had to submit any kind of changes to either the Department of Justice or have it reviewed by a three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit. In the end, the the three-judge panel sent SB 14 back to the state saying, you can't implement it because it violates the provisions of the Voting Rights Act. It just doesn't pass muster. And so, in 2012, the Texas state law that would require photo IDs was stopped by a federal court in Washington, D.C. Professor Flores. The way the the law would be implemented, the types of identifications that, that were required by the, by the by the state of Texas, would uh, prohibit um, a large percentage of Latinos and African Americans from participating in in, in 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 elections. It was dilutive. In other words, it would weaken our our, our election strength and kind of set us back from a participation point of view. But a year later, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned several key provisions of the Voting Rights Act. In a case known as Shelby County v. Holder, the Supreme Court ruled that Section 5, the provision mandating a federal pre-clearance of changes to state voting laws, was unconstitutional, which meant that Texas no longer needed the Department of Justice's approval to implement the voter ID law. The Texas Attorney General immediately ordered that SB 14 be reinstated. Since that time, SB 14, otherwise known as Texas's voter ID law, has been volleyed back and forth between state and federal courts. In 2014, a suit was filed against SB 14 and won in U.S. District Court. A year later, in 2015, on the eve of the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals allowed Texas's voter ID law to stand, while also acknowledging its potential to disproportionately impact minorities. Professor Henry Flores of St. Mary's University in San Antonio says that now that the state voter ID law is law, there's no disguising its intent. If you look at it from a preponderance of evidence test, you can strip every other excuse out and and, and discover that, oh, Senate Bill 14 wasn't created to prevent uh, voter fraud. It wasn't created to secure the ballot. It wasn't created to do this. So the only thing left over for it to do is to prevent minorities from voting. Fred Lewis is a lawyer. He grew up in Houston at the heart of Harris County, Texas. He worked in the Attorney General's office before founding the nonprofit community outreach group Texans Together. Lewis says he's seen Harris County change over the past two decades, that it's gone from what he calls a sleepy, mostly Anglo town to one of the most diverse metropolitan areas in the country. 
Lewis says that the debate over the voter ID law in Harris County is a preview of the future of voting rights for all Americans. Demographers say uh, that Harris County is 10 years ahead of Texas demographically, and Texas is 10 or 15 years ahead of the country. So basically, America is changing. Now that Texas and the U.S. in general are becoming more diverse, Lewis says it's important to uphold the system of checks and balances the original Voting Rights Act was meant to protect. It's very interesting that from 1994 till 2008, we really didn't have poll watchers much in Harris County in African-American communities. Why? Nobody intimidates anybody when you're going to win. So we didn't really have a lot of, uh, uh, of poll watching and voter intimidation and voter registration. This That began to change in earnest when Barack Obama carried Harris County. And if one voice can change a room, it can change a city. And if it can change a city, it can change a state. And if it can change a state, it can change a country. And if it can change the country, it can change the world. Whatever form of official ID you choose, Henry Flores says that getting one of the approved IDs is disproportionately harder for minorities and people who are poor for a bunch of reasons. If you're an immigrant or from a rural place, Flores says your birth certificate might not be readily available. It may be in an area where there are few, if any, computers, and getting access to the document could mean travel, which means time and money. Or that paperwork may not even exist. Take birth certificates, for example, which are generally required if you want to apply for a state ID. Some of them don't have birth certificates or don't have access to, to official birth certificates, and because of the way they were born in this country, there was a lot of uh, mid um, midwife births. I'm not sure how, what the technical term for that is called, but um, for that generation, and so, and even for some of my generation, and and those folks either don't had, were never issued a birth certificate, or didn't know how to go about getting one. Flores says that even with a birth certificate in hand, negotiating the bureaucratic process of getting the photo ID can still be difficult. Albert Maldonado, the civil engineering student at Rice University, says that being part of the immigrant community means some people already shy away from voting and politics in general. And so I was never taught what uh, registering to vote was actually like. I was never taught how to use your register card or what it looks like or anything like that because nobody in my family can vote. Many people, he says, also fear exposing undocumented family members by sharing their political opinions or giving out information like their home address. Mirna Garza is one of Maldonado's classmates at Rice. She grew up in South Texas, near Brownsville. Garza is politically active. In Harris County, she's participated in voter registration drives and organized student visits to City Hall. They, a lot of the times, don't see a lot of the issues, but the moment that you're able to bring those issues to them and like explain to them, so like a lot of times just like, not like dumbing it down, but explaining how it affects your life. And I really do feel that's the biggest one, why people their age don't vote, and even people that are older. Before moving to Houston for college, Garza registered to vote in the county where she grew up. Then, during the mayor's race in 2015, she wanted to vote in Houston, where she now lives. 
So I, like, I have an ID from all of them are from back home, the, both my passport and the two that I have. But um, the way, like, the, what I was told was that you needed to have a, that, like, your address had to be the one that, where you lived. Because I lived at Rice. I was at, at the, in the dorm. Garza showed me her student ID. It says she lives in Houston. But because Texas doesn't consider a student ID card a valid form of ID at the polls, she says she was unable to get a valid form of ID that would allow her to vote in Houston. For people with name changes or moving to Texas from out of state, getting a valid voter ID can be even more complicated. Lindsay Gonzalez grew up in Houston, then moved away to Washington, D.C. She and her husband returned to Houston in 2012. So we moved. We um, came back to Texas after um, a long time for other places and um, started the process to register our cars and do license and all that stuff to um, reestablish residency. And um, I found out there was a big long list of things that I needed to get um, for my Texas license. Gonzalez had lost her social security card. Without it, getting an in-state ID in time for the midterm election turned out to be nearly impossible. So I was um, sort of <laughs> stuck, you know, with, with this very uh, real-life implication to say, okay, well, I, but I needed to go to several different government offices. None of them were streamlined. None of them were talking to each other um, and ended up needing to get about four different documents um, before I could get a license. And so I was trying to um, get all of that so that I could vote. I was able to register, but without a Texas license, um, I would no longer be able to vote. Um, prior to that law, I would have been able to with my valid out-of-state license. And then there's the actual act of just going to apply for the ID. In a press conference after signing the bill into law, Governor Rick Perry said that it's no more complicated than cashing a check at the HEB, a major supermarket chain in Texas. And since 2011, Texas has actually issued free election ID cards through the Department of Public Safety. Hey there. Hello. Um, I'm with a, do you mind if I ask you guys a couple of questions? I'm with a... I want to see the process firsthand. So I head over to the Houston Department of Public Safety. It's a brick building about the size of a single family home set among other government buildings, right on the big loop of freeway that circles the city. At first, when I talk to 61-year-old Flory Johnson outside the front door, he says that requiring a voter ID does not make the process of voting more difficult. He waits for his voter registration card to come in the mail, and then brings it and his driver's license with him when he goes to the polls. You know, I've had mine for so long until I have no idea what the, you know, what the new program is, you know, you know of course, getting uh, their... Uh, cards, because I've always used my driver's license, but I've never used the card. I've never had a problem uh, going anywhere to vote. But because of the way Houston is set up, even if there weren't any of these other issues people mention, family circumstances, lack of education, trouble getting birth certificates, etc., it would still be hard for many people in Houston to get a driver's license or another form of voter ID. Because Houston is a driving city, there are 4.4 million people in Harris County and 575 square miles of freeways. Flory Johnson has a car, but without one, it can be really hard to get to the Department of Public Safety. Here's Albert Maldonado, the student whose parents are undocumented. In Texas, Hispanics tend to drive less than other 
uh, ethnic groups so they don't get driver's license as often. The driver's license is like the main form of ID that a lot of people use in Texas. And the Department of Public Safety office I went to is the only Department of Public Safety office for the entire inner city of Houston, half a million people, plus those who live outside the loop and use this location. Even if you don't want to get a driver's license and just want a basic ID, if you don't have a car and you don't drive, just getting to and from the Department of Public Safety could be a day-long undertaking. I got here on the bus. I told the bus driver I had to come try to, to HBD and try to get my license today. And I appreciate if he let me ride and the man let me ride. I've yeah. got weeks trying to coordinate with getting the kids taken care of and getting, yeah, there's, it's a nightmare. I guess the bus? It's going to take like at least like one hour, two hours, three hours. When I started out, it was still kind of dark. I said it was about that 530 bus. And when I got to that TMC Transit Center, oh, it was, it was, it was damn near breaking day. Even Flory, who first tells me that it's easy to get an ID, is startled to imagine what it would be like to go to the Department of Public Safety if he didn't have a car. Oh, mercy. That would be about two, two hours. Two and a half, maybe three. Maybe it's culture that makes voter ID laws problematic for some poor and minority Texas residents, or access, or bureaucracy, or the Harris County transportation system. But what does seem clear is that the law is making it harder for some people to vote. Leland Beatty, the statistical consultant, says this matters. Think of voting like buying shoes. When my feet hurt, I go buy me some shoes. I'm not likely to think about it until my feet start hurting. Voting's the same way. The fact that people are not regular participants is no excuse to exclude them from the process entirely. If I go a year without buying shoes, no shoe store is going to say, sorry, your shoe license is expired. You can't have shoes. And right now, the impact of SB 14 has yet to be tested in a presidential election when people often feel like the most is at stake. But that's all about to change. For Life of the Law, I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Harris County was reported, produced, and sound designed by Jonathan Hirsch and edited by Annie Aviles, with production assistance from Tony Gannon Alyssa Bernstein, Ashley Cleek, Kirsten Jesuits Heidel, and Shawnee Avaram. Special thanks to our advisory scholar, Heather Thompson, professor of political science at the University of Michigan. If you like stories about the law but have gotten tripped up by the legal system, tune in to Life of the Law on iTunes. We tell stories about the law like it is. Stories about space law, juggalos, jury selection, and midwives. Then take a few minutes to post your review of Life of the Law on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Each time we publish a new episode, we send people who have subscribed to our newsletter a behind-the-scenes look at Life of the Law that includes notes from our reporters, reviews of plays, books, movies, updates about previous episodes, and previews of upcoming episodes. You can subscribe at lifeofthelaw.org. We're a nonprofit project of the Tide Center, and we're part of the panoply network of podcasts from Slate, connecting sophisticated listeners with top publishers and thinkers. Panoply.fm. You can also find Life of the Law on PRX, Public Radio Exchange. 
We're funded by the Open Society Foundations, the Law and Society Association, the National Science Foundation, the Proteus Fund, and by you. Visit our website, lifeofthelaw.org, and make a very much appreciated donation to help pay for the direct cost of producing our episodes. It only takes a minute. Next on Life of the Law. The shift has been from a consideration of what does it cost to educate a kid who is at risk and has special needs to what do I want to spend on kids that are at risk and have special needs. That's next on Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening.